Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. If you do not want these human jerks spoiling the movie, stop the recording, for the rest of you. Do you want to play a game? Hello and welcome to The Movie Trap. I am Zach Powers. And I am Chris Borth. And I am Russell Carlson. And if you're a new listener, which is pretty likely because this is the third episode, if you don't count the 50 episodes from 10 years ago that had a slightly different premise, uh, this is a film podcast in which uh, each of us, we pick a movie, a variation on a theme, and then uh, at the end, we uh, vote on which is the best uh, of the movies presented, and that person gets to continue the legacy of the theme for the next go-around. That's the short summary. Uh, this week, uh, our loose theme is isolation or being trapped, appropriately enough, uh, because mm-hmm. of the name of the podcast, and because if you're listening to this in the future, we're living in the quarantine times, baby. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. The true history enough. books will write about. And and also, I th- I've noticed a common theme is Pyrrhic victories, isn't that? I mean, like, all three yeah, of these movies are very, very similar in that theme. Um, um, yeah, oh, a standard, yeah. uh, standard issue? We gonna be spoiling the movie that is in the name of this podcast. Very, very true. Spoiling the fuck yeah. out of. So I guess yeah. we, Any, since anybody who is still wondering how the end of Color Out of Space ends, it's been out for a hot hundred years now. So you can it was written in 1927. It yeah, it was yeah. written in 1927. <laughs> um, but I guess Borif, since it was your round, why don't you go ahead and, and summarize this, um, this, sure. this piece of movie and give us what you got. Absolutely. Okay, well, um, this movie is The Color Out of Space. It is a movie that, for all intents and purposes, shouldn't exist uh, because the director is a guy named Richard Stanley, who is known for having been involved with The Island of Dr. Moreau, mm. uh, which is a infamously uh, troubled production where he got fired and it turned into a somewhat... Uh, phantasmagoric nightmare. Right, and that was the happy part out. of the story. That It was actually okay yeah. when he got fired, and then it, it all went downhill. Um, but that's mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's what you get when you cast Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando. I guess Elijah Wood, of all people, over at SpectreVision, uh, they were looking to make an H.P. Lovecraft thing, and the long and short of this story, to give you a very quick understanding, is that it's a family trapped on a farm where a meteorite hits, And the meteorite is from outer space, and it starts causing all sorts of strange problems as the reality and the physicality of people start bending around it. I think the fact that it's a meteorite makes it from out of space, big guy. (laughs) You rarely see meteorites from under the sea, Um, or at least that they come from under the sea. You might find them under the sea, but uh, universally, they're from outer space. I mean, it could come through the Earth, right? Well, I mean... If it went through the earth, I doubt we'd find it. <laughs> it probably yeah, would be mean, long gone. <laughs> if a rock that originally came from Earth landed on Mars, it would technically be a meteorite with the origin of All right. this island uh, Earth. Uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of uh, the panspermia theory? That's right. <laughs> oh my God, yes, I have actually. Um, but speaking of sperm, um, there's this story is an older, but it's definitely one of Lovecraft's more popular ones. Um, I mean, he was already writing a bunch at this point in 1927 when it came out. It's a very short story. It's about like 17 pages long. And, and also, I, I find it unique that they did this story because this is one of those stories that is 
kind of removed from the overall Cthulhu mythos kind of thing. Um, I mean, this movie kind of ties it in in a neat way, um, barely, but that's really all you need for Lovecraft because Lovecraft himself was pretty vague about the whole mythos himself. You know, it wasn't until yeah. August Derleth and all them folks um, yeah. kind of got their 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 ropes around it because he he kind of he viewed it as a continuing uh, mythology himself i mean he considered the hester or whatever from the yellow king part of the cthulhu mythos you know and he didn't yeah. come up with that um well so, it's kind like, of strange because like it's the same thing that like stephen king did latter career but for some reason with lovecraft everybody loved it because yeah like stephen king everything turned into like oh well it's all connected to the book insomnia and it's all part of the dark tower there... and yada 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 it There's weird. light examples of that in Stephen King's earlier work. For instance, the uh, the chef from The Shining, uh, Dick Halloran, is in this club fire that takes place in the 50s. There's a black nightclub that gets burned down in the novel It. And Dick Halloran is aware of the danger before anybody else and saves several people. So, like, there's crossover in early King books. But, okay, uh, okay. With, from what I understand, the uh, the Gunslinger saga really, really goes meta on the next level. <laughs> and, yeah. and I haven't seen a couple episodes of that Castle Rock show, and I'm not the biggest, well, I'm not the well-versed in the Stephen King-averse. Um, so I, I always felt like I was trying to figure out what movie it's from, and I didn't really care. But um, yeah. anyway, but I, I th it's good that you bring up Stephen King, because, I mean, for those of you out there who don't know who H.P. Lovecraft is, um, he's probably the most famous, probably the most famous horror fiction writer uh, between Poe and I would say Stephen King, like yeah. I would say between those two epochs, yeah. he probably yeah, is the I mean, most he, famous. He was a concurrent with um, the guy who was writing Conan. So right. like, um, this is yeah. the same time period. This is like, yeah, early above, 1900s. Like, just, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I think it's, it's cool to do this movie on film because part of the whole scariness of it is that part of the whole title is color out of space is it emits a color that the human eye has not seen and possibly can't even perceive correctly. It, <laughs> it's that notion. Science was still kind of getting off, you know, where in, in getting off um, in science, you know, in, in the early part of that year, scientific discovery was rapidly expanding. Yeah. And, and I think that prospect really terrified Lovecraft. The fact that there is yeah. light that the human eye literally cannot perceive. Well, um, and I, I think, think I, read, I read about his uh, inspiration for this, uh, this mysterious color that is, uh, you know, almost imperceivable or, or different, has different effects on people. And I think uh, he was 14 and he got super high. And his friend said, what if I, what I see is red. It's not what you see is red. And Lovecraft, <laughs> that blew his fucking mind. And a short story about it. Well, that would explain why Richard Stanley wanted to do this, because if I know anything about that guy, he loves yeah. to smoke the ganja. I want to give you guys a second, the audience, a second taste of what you're in for with this movie, because aside from Richard Stanley directing, the lead in the film is one Nicolas Cage. So. I know it. Yeah, I know. Uh -huh. And, and uh, it, it, you know, I've softened a lot on Nick Cage in my old age, I really have. Like, I, I think in the right role, he's he's very useful and very good. Um, this, unfortunately, was not one of those movies. Um, well, I, 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 I gotta be honest, debate. I appreciate him because of Mandy. Like, I think Mandy really made me reappreciate sure. him. Sure, and like I said, I, I think for the right role, I just like, and, and again, and maybe it's me just because I'm married to the source material because in, in the book, Nahum Gardner's madness resembles more of a docile 
he's very you know almost lethargic throughout all of it like mm -hmm. and and to see kind of nick cage kind of switch accents at least once or twice um seemed i don't know maybe it just seemed too manic and almost just too hammy i guess i don't know i just i i, I wanted to like it and i was i was unimpressed I, there was a I lot of eye rolling it's i mean it's it is nicholas cage going full nicholas cage which is somewhat justified in this case um, sure 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 but even and before I didn't hate that it. i had some laughs when nicholas cage when he was still sane was mm -hmm. yelling about the alpacas and feeding the alpacas. <laughs> Offering the alpaca milk. That's a famous, I mean, like I, I, you want some, I mean, it hard cuts away from that scene, but I, uh, that did linger with me, you know, where I was like, boy, that's a, that is one way to deliver a line. And also, I mean, let's not forget the other starling, you know, cast of this member. I mean, Jolie Richardson, she's, you know, great. But I mean, the old man in there there's a typical <laughs> yeah, there is yeah. it is in throughout lovecraft there is usually an old man who knows everything somehow uh this... tommy chong is the last person i expected to see and for that person to be uh, i I, but... I think it's worth noting yeah there's a character type that i have always called the doomsayer um tommy chong is the doomsayer in this movie for an example like if you've seen the original Friday the 13th, there's a character named Crazy Ralph. He is the mm -hmm. doomsayer in Friday the 13th. The Tommy Chong fills that role here. Um, some of the other cast are... I, I was surprised that I recognized several of uh, the younger cast. The teen boy was in the film The Guest, um, which is a pretty good movie that I, uh, I enjoy. Uh, also, the youngest child, the bespectacled boy, who's, uh, you know, Jack. a very cute child was mm. in the Haunting of Hill House series that uh, was on Netflix. Uh, oh, yeah! Oh, yeah. yeah, all right. It's a unique cast, and that's why I, even for Nick Cage, as much as he goes full-on nitro Nick Cage, um, which, again, is appropriate in some cases, but that's, I, I don't know. Um, I, it, but Tommy Chong was the one where I was like, okay, I've either, I've either just got to roll with it and just let it go, or I'm going to let this, I'm turning off this fucking movie. Um, Cause I, I, it's Tommy Chong guys. I mean, you know, like it, it's. What, what I think is fun about that is it normally like the doomsayer, as you call them, Zach, or the, uh, or often just the person who is there to just vomit exposition. Correct. It's yeah. usually a very boring ass character. It's always like an old man with books or just somebody kind of boring. Like sometimes yeah, you have, a, a, sometimes you'll have a fun one. Like when it was in um, uh, Final Destination, and Tony Todd shows up, and he's like, "Could incite a fury that could terrorize even the Grim Reaper, and you don't even want to fuck with that Mac Daddy." If you've ever seen the film Cabin in the Woods, there's a I think they call him the Harbinger in that, but there's a character who's like a gas mm. station attendant who fills the same role. Yeah, I mean, I've heard I've heard the reason that Tommy Chung's in this movie is that uh, Richard Stanley used to be his pot dealer. <laughs> I believe that he owns a couple pot stores in Colorado. Um, you know, not for nothing. I like I love Tommy Chung. I'm a big booster of Tommy Chung. I am. Um, so that's why I, I I've decided early on once you see Tommy Chung in his outfit, and you're like, okay, well he's playing type. You know, like he doesn't have to do much. He's just doing what he does. Um, and then it wasn't until the very end where I'm like, okay, well, they, you made it work a little bit. Um, but it, it's still, it, it was very, very jarring for this to be like a 
serious Lovecraftian adaptation where everybody's very dreadful and everybody's very paranoid. And yeah, for Tommy it, Chong, it's just sort of like, what's up, dudes? That's Ebony's show, am I right? You know, like well, it's. I, I'm going to go ahead and say that. There is some similarities to this in The Lighthouse in that there's also things in this movie where I'm not sure if it's supposed to be drama or comedy at times. <laughs> um, but uh, yep. it's briefly, always a good wanna, sign wanna, for a Lovecraft film. Just as a, an early, just get, get it in early, rounding out uh, this family of five, Nick Cage, his wife, and their three kids, two boys, one girl, is Tommy Chong, obviously lives near them, and also uh, the sort of point of view character kind of main character um but kind of oh you not. mean ward phillips yeah is ward's this... his middle name h is his first name get it yeah <laughs> uh yeah he's uh he's a uh, what is he he's like a hydro- hydrologist he's a hydrologist yeah. and also yeah. knows radiation burns pretty well yeah. um yeah <laughs> yeah Can identify I mean, him on site on many many different types of animals you know he, he provides narration at the beginning and end of the movie that is directly from the short story indeed uh, slightly rejiggered yeah. but yeah i'd almost argue this film almost seems to not have a protagonist like properly yeah. i agree completely which is appropriate the, for lovecraft well it's also something this guy's done in the past like he has a very odd like, I'm interested to hear this from you guys just because it's your first time, I think, seeing, like, a weird-ass Richard Stanley film. But his films all have very strange uh, structure. Like, Dust Devil wasn't structured like the Campbell line. It was structured like a spiral. So you had all these characters that never actually interacted at the same time until the very end of the movie. So it was like everyone was trying to find somebody else in the movie as they were hunting each other down until at the end when it got... You know, the guns, not guns came out, some guns came out, but it got crazy at the end. And in this one, I actually, like, just out of curiosity, I was, like, writing down the scares as they happened in the movie. And it went from, yeah, first one was, like, 34 minutes, second one was 51 minutes, and then after that, it was, like, (laughs) once every 10 minutes, just crazy shit kept happening. But even with, like, Nicolas Cage's performance, it sounded, did you guys think that he sounded a little bit like Trump? Or did you think more Vampire's Kiss? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) You know what? Uh, This is something I was going to mention I think this is a movie, we talked uh, about this vaguely earlier, but uh, about this topic earlier, but I think this movie wears some of its non-Lovecraft influences on its sleeves. I got a lot of Jack Torrance off of Nicolas Cage and also their bedroom, uh, just the way the bedroom was shot, the way it looked, like it reminded me of a set from The Shining. The thing with the alpacas where they merge into one beast could not be more the thing if it tried. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's absolutely mm-hmm. the case. I, no I will question. say that the mom and the kid merging, though, is probably the first time I've seen that, and it was horrifying. Yeah. And that's actually a cool thing that's not part of the original short story, I think. I don't think anything. Well, and again, Lovecraft's very purposely vague about the horror in the attic or whatever. Um, this is going to drive you crazy, but the first performance I thought of was just another Nick Cage performance, and that was that shitty Bad Lieutenant movie that I hated so much that we covered on this fucking podcast. I, I, think, I think you mean uh, that really fun Bad Lieutenant no, movie that I enjoyed gosh. the hell out of and we Jesus argued a lot about. Fucking yeah, that was, that, was just, that movie. See, and that's I, I was hoping, again, having familiarized myself with the source material, that's how I thought Nick Cage was going to play it. I thought he was going to play it more docile, and I was like, okay, I want to see Manic nick cage but kind of like hunkered down you know like the weight of everything is that he's deteriorating it's so brittle and gray you know like it's it i so when it just turned back into just you know warp speed nick cage i was 
I was disappointed. Maybe it's just me not managing my expectations, which is usually true in most movies. But I, I what I will say about Stanley, because I'm not familiar with Richard Stanley at all, um, in the slightest. You know, like I, I heard that he was doing this movie and that he was actually a competent director. Though, I mean, I'm sure if you asked a couple of people, they would question that. Um, I think given a, the, the scope of this production, I think it's perfect for him to make a comeback. I think this is exactly what a guy like him is perfect for. This is what he can do. Um, my differing of his aesthetic choices, well, notwithstanding. But I mean, also, I mean, you're taking on an impossible task adapting Lovecraft anyway. Like, I think that it's, it's, it's impossible, but, it, and I wanted to ask you guys this, is it because we try to make it fit as a movie? Like, having it set in modern times. Now, again, in the original story, again, the original story is basically the surveyor, the Ward Phillips character, hearing it from Amy Pierce, who in the movie is the sheriff, but let's call him Tommy Chong for usefulness purposes, um, hearing about the Gardner family that happened back in like 1880. So mm -hmm. like this, the, the original story took place long time ago and I almost wonder if it would have worked better if they had meant to obtain that and that's why I want to ask you guys that maybe us trying to fit it into a movie to update it not that I didn't appreciate the updated tones of it and I'll get into that later but like I, I thought of Jeremy Brent's Sherlock Holmes um you know it was a tv show that came out in the 80s Jeremy Brent played uh, Sherlock Holmes and a couple of people played Watson but it was on ITV and it's literally the closest thing I've seen to straight adapting just the short stories, just the Conan Doyle stories. And and it's, in my opinion, it's the best of the whole canon. They've been doing that forever. So maybe if we just try to do it, not fit it into a movie, would that serve? I don't know. I think we, because of the topic of The Lighthouse last week, we did talk about the difficulty of adapting H.P. Lovecraft and a couple efforts we thought worked and some we didn't, uh, such as yeah, I mean, The Madness, but yeah. Go ahead, Chris. It's kind of hit and miss with um, Lovecraft stuff because it's like, but it's also like in a modern context, it's hard to justify making some Lovecraft films. Other than it's um, public domain and it's free, you don't have to pay in a state well, or nothing. No, I mean he, uh, I mean his like personal politics. Oh sure. Oh out. yeah, absolutely. No, well sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but you can still. Sorry, I was just gonna say that I think that they've had other films where they've taken sort of the general sense of what he was doing and then went from there. Cause like, um, like for example, the thing we talked about it earlier, yeah. I would say the thing seems to me like the, at least the John Carpenter version, that seems to me like a HP Lovecraft story. Uh, yeah. You, um, you kind of took the wind out of my sails because I think you're completely right. I think the only way to really just do a Lovecraft movie is a Lovecraft esque movie. Um, because it's kind of hard, but like I said, I appreciate the ambitious, the ambition to try, you know, I, I think that it's never really been tried to attempt it. And this movie was admittedly one of the first to really just try to just do the short story as it is on the page. I mean, they took a lot of liberties in some cases, but it really is just the story. I mean, not much changes. Well, incidentally, uh, in terms of adapting Lovecraft, uh, presently, Richard Stanley is writing a screenplay for the Dunwich Horror, apparently. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking. I mean, that's good for him. I mean, I think he can give it a shot. You know, like, and that's that's straight up Lovecraft shit. I mean, that's like you that's know Wilbur Whitley famous, and Yoke yeah. Sothoth and shit. You know, he even did had the IMDb fucking thing told me that him and some other guy did a a, a Lovecraftian 
fucking ritual to Yoth Sothos to, to make this movie. And I'm like, the fools. He well, can't play with that kind of shit. HP Lovecraft, or excuse me, uh, Richard Stanley has so many weird stories like that that I, I do not know if they are all true, but they are all fascinating to hear. So I'll give him that. Um, it, it is nice to hear. I, I appreciated well, the fact that he tried. Well, let me ask you this. Like, what would be an H.P. Lovecraft story then? Because to me, like, I know he does weird fiction, but he's not the first guy who did weird fiction. And True. he isn't like he he's the most known now. But there are other people that did this that we could be making reference to, like the guy who wrote uh, The Great God Pan, which I think mm. might have been Madchen. I don't remember. Uh, or you mentioned it earlier, the uh, the King in Yellow, which mm -hmm. is a surprisingly unpleasant book to read. Um, <laughs> it's it, it's because it's centered around a book that is so boring, <laughs> a play well, that makes everybody so boring. That's 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 the most heartwarming part of the whole thing is <laughs> no. the book itself. Like it it goes straight for calling people Orientals a few times in a way that yeah. is yeah well, not. Not the greatest. Yeah. We haven't Not the greatest. touched on it much, but uh, I think Lovecraft would be much chagrined to know that the only survivor of this film is the black guy because mm. he was not afraid to use some heavy words when describing black people and or characterizing them. Most of oh. the time. Yeah, oh most of the time. I, I that's why I, I you know, like I, I I most Lovecraft fans I know look that square in the eye. They don't they don't try to hide it or or even try to acknowledge it if you're a fan. I mean, I got into Lovecraft when I was like in fifteen and I was really into neurosis and all that apocalyptic doom so shit really like appealed now. to me. Yeah, exactly. I've <laughs> I've grown so much. Um I've grown so much. Um once you learn about him, you sort of like you do understand that he was actually a pretty horrible person with some pretty horrible points of view, but I did appreciate the notion of horror of the unknown. Um, and that's why, I don't know, I think, it, it, to, to answer your question, Borf, about what kind of Lovecraft would you do, I mean, honestly, you'd have to go with his more adventurous types. They're very few and far between, but for me, and it's a daunting task to do, would be the dream quest of unknown Kadath. Um, hmm. I mean, it, that's the one that actually has a beginning, fucking middle, and an end. There's one protagonist, unlike most of his short stories, where it's a guy saying, I have now the only witness. It's every Melville, you know, it's everybody's Ishmael. Uh, this is the only one who's like Randolph Carter dreamed. It's more of a, you know, omniscient prose. So I think that would probably adapt well. However, you are going to have to contend with the fact that moon beasts keep slaves on the moon. You know. <laughs> Co coincidentally as you yeah. said that i just heard a uh, uh a police siren somewhere in the background coming to pull you away because of that opinion it's america um, baby what do you want but anyway yeah. I, I think i want to get into actually the nitty-gritty of the actual film real quick because yeah. i want to talk about the points time. the points where i was disappointed in this movie there was two points that i was disappointed to um i was disappointed in their reliance on horror tropes. Now, you say Richard Stanley does this kind of stuff all the time, um, but specifically there are two. Uh, the jump scares. There's a, one or two jump scares. The reliance on them, I'm always, I thought we were going to do, I don't know. It's, I, to do a Lovecraft with a jump scare, I think it's sort of cheap, but that's a little one. Really, I mean, the, the I, monster not, vision. Not only is it a jump scare, it's a jump scare involving a cat. Yeah, is, it's your, as, it's the yeah. most classic horror movie trope of ever, and I thought we were doing a Lovecraft here. So anyway, well, I was disappointed it, in that. It's like a it's like a weird mutant cat, but it's very like I know you're getting into it, but the movie has some moments that are incredibly uneven to the point where it almost seems like there was more movie that just got cut out. Cause like there's a scene where it just I'm gonna spoil this a little bit. Jolly Richardson straight up cuts off two parts of her finger, like all the way off on the end 
and it's a very disturbing sort of scary moment that reminded me of like uh there's a a a section in the movie suicide circle if anybody remembers all the way back in 2001 when that came out there's someone cuts off their finger and it's like cooking and it's like handled in a way where they don't deal with the horror they deal with showing the audience the horror but the person in the moment doesn't experience it so i thought that was very strange that they throw out that a character completely cuts off fingers gets them magically surgically reattached and then they're right back at the house it, it seems like they needed the parents to leave and they just threw a scene in to make them leave so the kids could have trouble at the house it's, it's small really weird it's a small budget bore if you know nick cage is only guaranteed for that long you know you gotta mm. cut down you know yeah. He, yeah. he gets paid by the hour and i'm sure he got rate pay for this but still they have i guess they have like light justification for many things oh the other reference that i think that this openly uh openly calls out to uh is uh the evil dead not just because the girl has the necronomicon which is obviously a lovecraft thing in and of itself but because there is a scene where a tree kills somebody a classic evil dead again Um, that that's i there was it's also funny because that's also uh i think that's actually a reference to another book there's a book called The Willows, which that character who's running around at the end was reading. That's an mm. early uh, weird fiction Lovecraftian thing, which if you think some of Lovecraft's books sound boring, The Willows is about otherworldly trees that have a general sense of menace, and that's it. <laughs> well, it's a whole in, camping in trip around Colorado, these scary uh, in, in, trees. In Colorado Space, I mean, they there there is a and there's a shot in my head when I read this book. I thought of it. Ever, I've held it with me ever since I read it when I was you know fucking twelve years old or whatever. Because in the story, there's a lot of commentary about the trees seem to move when there is no wind, you know. And I was really kind of looking forward to that image. I'm glad they gave it to me at the end with with good old Sheriff Pierce getting got that way. Spoiler alert. But um, I. I really had this image of the little boy just staring out into nothingness and his hair isn't moving, but this tree is just wildly going. And I, I, there's, I don't know. They, there's a they moment. Have a that with that, they have a little bit of that with that, uh, with the car when, uh, Nicholas, yeah, Nicholas Cage is that is true. And, and, and I appreciate the fact that, you know, having it in updated times, and I think even Lovecraft would appreciate it. It's how it would affect modern devices, how the color would affect modern, I mean, cause like they go th- in the book, they go through this pretty boring scientific process of them trying to study this substance. Um, and, and so I think Lovecraft would appreciate the modernness of how it would deal with modern machines. And I, I did too, in many respects, but the one thing I did not fucking appreciate, and this is where I, again, I had to white knuckle my way through this movie was the monster vision. When the bug (laughs) is crawling out of the goddamn, every shitty horror movie relies on this fucking stupid ass Mm -hmm. effect. And it hasn't been good. It's never going to be good. Why do we keep doing this shit? The last time I seen a good done was, done well was Predator. That was the last time I've seen that done well. Um, with me, some of that stuff, I almost wondered that when I was saying it seems uneven, there's stuff like that where I wonder how long the script in the form it was was sitting around with Richard Stanley because like the daughter, the teenage daughter is also really into Ale- like Wiccan, like being a witch, mm-hmm. which is fine. I know people do that, but it was super popular in the 90s and mm. like when you watch the island of dr moreau the feruza bulk character has a whole lot of goth going on like she's very goth so <laughs> it was her bread and butter in the 90s yeah so it's really weird when you see it and you're like oh well there's a there's a 
a character that's not exactly goth who's kind of like doing a version of wiccan it was just a very odd choice it was a strange choice there's, and uh, so many odd things like that in this movie this movie there's, there's, is a series of odd choices there's so there's several things like that the 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 wiccan thing comes up a couple times she's burning some hair to like protect her mother at the beginning of the movie and later she does this like self-cutting protection spell none of that really pays off it seems like it doesn't have any effect on the thing that is encroaching on their lives but there's other things like that that i don't quite like there's this impl- there's this strong implication that the the mayor deeply despises nick cage for some reason or another i can't remember why it doesn't really matter it doesn't have anything to do with the story i'm not entirely sure why it's there and also there's a scene briefly and i'm unsure, I'm unsure if this is meant to be like tying it to broader themes where nick cage is watching something about environmental collapse are you is that supposed to be like this is a meditation on global warming because it certainly had nothing. I had no connection to that whatsoever from the rest of the movie. Huh? That that I, the, I hadn't considered that, but that is interesting to one do. Of the, it, but somebody asked him some questions about this in an interview, and I was kind of. That's why I asked you guys about the Trump thing earlier because he suggested that uh, some of what he'd written was about the Trump inauguration. Um. And there were, I guess, scenes originally that got cut where they explicitly were watching Trump give a speech or something, and then Nick Cage started going off. Um, <laughs> the the was... character started going off. But uh, yeah, they didn't really do much more with it. I mean, it is odd that it's, you know, a reality that's changing to make the aliens more comfortable. I yeah. think that played a better role in Annihilation, though. I like, agree. I think, I think this... Yeah. Annihilation ate this movie's lunch a bit. I think it's better executed. A lot of the stuff with the weird colors and the environment around them changing in these subtle ways and time kind of losing its meaning. All of that's an Annihilation, and I think it's stronger there and more consistent there and thematically makes more sense there than it does here. And another subplot that I didn't really understand, and they almost kind of alluded to it at the end in the in the peak of of nathan's madness was the whole subplot about nick cage's dad um you know like i i i don't know it seemed like it had something to do with the drinking problem that wasn't really you know put and i mean the it wasn't it it didn't even feel human it just felt staged you know It, it it felt like and then by the end, we're just like, I know I'm not like my father. Like, I literally was like, well, there, I guess we just wrapped up that subplot. I'm glad that you fucking came to that conclusion. I wish well, you could include us I, in sometimes. I, I will say the one thing that I noticed in this, and I don't know, um, I, I'm not going to speak too much about people who might have been like this, but if you've ever been around coke fiends um that are in the throes of manic coke nonsense, they... Well, sometimes change topic very abruptly and have extremely emotionally revealing things they say to you that they will forget that they said to you about five minutes later. Um, Boris, so, you mean to tell me that show business is rife with cocaine use? I mean, I won't hear of it, sir. I won't hear I won't, of it. I, uh, no, no, it's a, it's a moral business. Uh, I don't know. If, uh, that's, that's why they made the Ten Commandments, uh, the movie. It's because they're so moral. Right. Um, and then sent them and to then, And then the Passion of the Christ. Thing. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the Passion of the Christ. Film. That worked Passion out so Christ. well. That's right. That, that roller coaster but, uh, of a blockbuster. But yeah, I mean, I did. I actually enjoyed the weird manicness of some of the performances when it started to hit the fan. I wish 
I really wish that the movie was just the middle portion of the movie to a degree. Because like when the special effects got too bad or too intense, it was like it took me out. And at the beginning, it was a little too slow. But in the middle, there's a good chunk of like, all right, the alpacas are fucking monsters. You're going to have to like deal with Jolie Richards as a monster. Your kid's getting like weird and going down a well. You know, there's stuff that happened that was, oh God, everything just fell. Uh, there was stuff that happened that was fun, and I wish it had been more fun. Yeah, I think uh, well, there's individual, like, set pieces or moments that did indeed work work for me. I just don't think the whole thing hangs together super well um, yeah, as a it's, whole. Yeah, it's it's too much. Uh, it's And then, again, like, the hero of our story, Sheriff Pierce and, and Ward, um, who's our only survivor, and it, it's sort of... I don't know. It, the, I felt like, and then even Borf, I want to ask you about this too, not to not to change subjects drastically, but one sure. of the things that I kind of confused me about um, was the use of like stadium lights throughout the night scenes in the forest. Like it, it, it seems like it was part of whatever farm they were renting out, um, and it was just going to add extra light. And I know that it is also common to do that to sort of emphasize fog. That kind of stuff. You want a lot of backlight to kind of make it yeah. look more spooky. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering why they did. Do you think that was a necessity? Because I, again, I'm, I'm maybe I'm just again too married to the source material. But I always like the idea that this story is mostly told in darkness, and the only light you get is starlight. Um, and well, I, I sort of wish we would have leaned towards that because this movie was very bright. But yeah. I, and I know it takes place in the summer, and 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 the color itself is very bright and that, that another question i'll ask but i wanted to ask you bore if it, what did you think about that i think that in certain circumstances it was required here because it's like you, you'd like to have a film set in darkness but then like actually shooting a film in darkness for sure see anything for sure and in certain circumstances like the layout of the location was so important to understand what was happening in the story that I think they needed to have that. But it's also just the pragmatic thing that they shot this in, I think, Portugal. So, like, they had consistent changes of weather, just like you have in Colorado. For sure. So I think they were doing that mostly just to really get away with as much as they could with, like, uh, fog and just trying to get some of the production value into it. Okay, I, I, it just it seemed odd to me. But another, I think I they, what I did was worried about seeing the the cover of the film and some of the the production stills from the film was how they were going to do the actual color the color out of space because yeah. when i'm reading it i always thought of like a really hard black light you know that that's just how i pictured it again into heavy metal when i was in middle school what do you expect um so i was a, when i saw that and how bright it was but i thought it worked though i thought that it still kind of made it it was still an alien sort of color and i didn't i thought it kind of worked I mean, I'll have to admit, um, I am partially colorblind, or not partially, I'm colorblind of blue-green. So for me, huh. the color out of space was about purple. It was all about purple. Uh, I could tell it was purple. Uh, normally, it looks blue to me, but in this case, I could tell it was purple. So for me, going in and seeing a, a color that normally I can never see was kind of exciting, because I was like, <laughs> I identify that as purple. Well, I am okay. red-green colorblind. Um but uh, no, the, it seemed. How did how did the purple. movie look yeah. to you? <laughs> it was sort of a pinkish, purplish kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't have as much trouble with that particular color as perhaps you do. Briefly, I want to circle back to something that just crossed my mind, Russell. You were talking about horror tropes that annoy you. 
There was a couple others that annoyed me. And the thing is, even when you were talking about the woman getting her finger stitched back on and they come back, this movie has like a defense mechanism that's kind of a cop-out and that everything's insane and time doesn't matter. <laughs> uh-huh. So you can justify anything, but also it's kind of a cop-out reason to let people do stupid things. Two points that stood out to me, both having to do with the teenage boy. There's a scene where he and his sister are going to escape on horseback. And the sister's like, go into the dark barn and get the tack, which is like the saddle. And my thought was, why do you need the fucking saddle? Just leave on the horse. <laughs> Don't go into the barn and get the saddle. You have the horse. This is the, the horse is transportation. The horse is anxious to go. Yeah. <laughs> the horse is anxious to go. <laughs> Forget the fucking saddle. Just go. And the other is he hears his dog whimpering in the well where oh, the know. horrors Jesus. came out of. I know it. Yeah, yeah, right. So let me go. No, no, you know, I know what it's done the alpacas, but the dog might be fine. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah well, there was a there was the additional little like character thing that they they introduced and then they paid off in that scene for no reason. Because it was like he climbs down into the well and Scenes and scenes earlier in the movie, they have this dumb conversation of, oh, you found grandpa's old goggles, his, uh, his, uh, uh, he puts them on the goggles. They do nothing. (laughs) Yeah. The goggles, they do nothing. Literally. He like puts them on in the last 10 seconds as the glowing blue monster tentacle comes out to grab him just to scream because I guess he can see more of the color now wearing those things. Or maybe he can't because it blocks that color. I don't know. It was such a weird moment. You brought up them driving back with cutting off the finger. What was that opera thing that Nick Cage was doing? That's just fucking Nick Cage, I think, man. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> See, I, I don't know, you're just like, uh, okay, you know, all right. Here we There's, go, movie. I, I, early in the film, when the, the meteor lands and the family is first reacting to it, I thought, like, each family member does react a little differently. For a second, I thought it was going to be tied to senses, because it seems like the little boy could see things. Me too. And He's wearing Nicolas glasses. Cage, Nicholas Cage kept on being like, it smells, it smells like a burnt dog. Don't you smell that? And everybody else is like, no. But it doesn't really pan out beyond that. I don't know yeah. that there's, like, all of that just kind of goes by the wayside. It's like they have this list of, they went to, like, the D&D madness effects list. And they rolled the dice a few times. We're like, Nick Cage gets that one. The little boy gets that one. And the little girl gets that one. And it's, mm-hmm. it seems so disjointed. It, it, yeah, it is, it's, it, it's, it's weird because normally when you're seeing a horror movie, they give you the rules. Like if it's in the, uh, like, uh, the, what is it? Uh, don't make a noise. Uh, the fucking scary monster going to hear you if you don't, don't oh, fart. Whatever is I it? Thought, uh, D- yeah, don't, the, a, don't, quiet don't, a quiet place. A quiet place. Don't yeah, breathe always... is also a horror movie about an old man, like some people break into his house, and yeah. he's a deaf, well, ma- a blind man who's coming after them. I mean, for me in those movies, I'm always like thinking more about the fact that, like, you know, I would be personally terrified of farting because when you get scared, sometimes you got to fart, and then if there's a spooky ooky monster, you don't want him to know where you are, but. Anyway, the thing is, is that in... Well, A Quiet this Place 2 hasn't come out yet, so we'll see. Maybe that's a plot point. Yeah. That might be it. Um, but it's stuff like that where they tell you the rules, and then you have, like, a way you can get into the story. You can imagine yourself in the situation. But in this one, right, there's, But you like, can't do that with Colorado Space. You literally yeah. can't. Yeah. The more you explain what this thing is, the la- I mean, like, honestly, Doctor Who would have had this shit solved 
like that. Like said, you need to get the fuck out of here and go long way that way. Um, well, know. I mean, the crazy thing is, is this one has been adapted so many times. And I would say that some of the adaptations of this one, I think, have been a little bit more successful just from a continuity of theme. So, like, yeah. I would say the blob is an interpretation of the story. Like the original blob, where it's a meteorite sure. that lands, there's a monster inside, starts eating people and goes around the town, and then they got to deal with this weirdness that's not human. And it's a monster movie, right? So yeah. it's stuff like that, where I think that they simplify rules in other movies, but in this one, it's not like that. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, even even the short story, you know, even though Lovecraft's not clear of what the mom exactly turns into, what the story does make clear is what happens to the rest of the farm and what it's doing to every living thing around it. Um, and they, again, they kind of punted on that too, other than just like everything's mutating into this weird color. I mean, the original story there, uh, he wanted the scary part to be the, the vapor, the globular ball thingy or whatever. And there's a billion of them. They all go up into space and God knows where they are and I'll never drink the water and whatever. So you can't do that with Lovecraft. That's you can't play those kind of easy tropes when you're trying to do a Lovecraft because part of the horror and the dread is you kind of not knowing what the fuck you're looking at. Well, yeah, but we we just said they have also like good adaptations like um, the thing where it's like you yeah, know what the rules are. Yeah, don't get touched. Yeah, uh, or yeah. like Alien. But, but like, that don't, was don't that, those are those are those aren't straight adaptations. Is my yeah, point. that's true. You know, like that's and, true. and 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 with with the things, the things different because the rules are they kind of figure out the rules as they go along. But you also get consistency in everybody's trapped. You know, everybody's you know, they're stuck in a frozen yeah. wasteland. Um, I, you know, that's that at least here, you never get the sense that they're actually trapped. Yeah, you know, the, like the, you the never get the sense that varies. The girl says at a certain point, we can't leave here though. Ward does leave shortly thereafter. Nicholas Cage has already left and come back. Uh, horse didn't have a problem. Yeah. The horse left. Like I always say, uh, there are parts where I thought you were, you were flirting with uh, defying the theme a little bit, Chris, because these people weren't so stuck. But I'm not. Gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Uh, do well, you think, speaking of adaptations that are not direct adaptations of H.P. Lovecraft, I mean, we mentioned it before, but Annihilation seems like an adaptation of Color Out of Space that works better. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the funny thing is, is have I've read the I read the book that Annihilation is based off of, and I will say that that film adaptation is an easier watch than it was a read. Hmm. Um, and it was because the guy who wrote the original story, I think he was a very technical person. Um, uh, I think he actually has a background, I believe, in like molecular biology or something like that. It, that's, so, that, that movie, we've discussed it two episodes now. When the right theme comes up, I'm, I'm going to put that on It's going to have to come up. Yeah, yeah sure. We're, we're going to have to do the thing. I haven't seen Annihilation. I'll just wait on it then, because there's some stuff when you like see that movie and then you read the book, like they are very, very different experiences to the point you almost mm. wonder if they are even the same story. I, I felt the same way, although this isn't that unusual for Kubrick, but I felt the same way about A Clockwork Orange. Like, that that book was a completely different experience than watching that movie. Um, yeah. And oddly enough, the movie was more pleasant. Um, oddly enough. Um, so, yeah, and that's why I think the most powerful point in the film is actually Tommy Chong, is when they're taking the actual speech that, in the book, Nahum gives to Ami Pierce, but in this, it's a tape recorded of a, a long, dead, and brittle um, Tommy Chong Ezra is his name. Um, 
and who's better than Ezra had to do it. Um, oh, God. So they, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kick you in the leg next time I see it. <laughs> Tommy Chong is better than Ezra. Um, so then I th- it, that was a fun way of actually making Tommy Chong's kind of droney, monotone voice into this kind of creepy, um, you know, otherworldly terror that i think was that that was my favorite part of the film that worked that that actually worked and that's where i said okay tommy chong i'll give it to you and there are things that are effective i mean we've been kind of i feel overall a little harsh on the movie there are things that are are effective i think like a lot of for instance the when the mother and the youngest child combine into one being i think that affects overall looks pretty good it did seem weird to me that everyone was concerned about the mother and no one gave a shit about the kid right no shit nobody even like they're like oh mom everything's okay and i guess jack's just like back there you could hear him you could hear him crying whimpering yeah Yeah, right no one gave a fuck about the kid that was weird i wonder if they had a scene and they cut it because they realized they couldn't get that range from the kid maybe but i wonder about that too with the dad subplot too i really do wonder that well it seems like it wouldn't be because like the mother doesn't really respond at that point. She's just whimpering. Mm. And, and the kid, I'm sure, is more than capable of whimpering. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do say Lavinia at one point in unison, but I think it's yeah. puppets at that point. Uh, yeah. Um, well, and, and good puppetry, too. I will give it that. I mean, I, I you know, it's a rare form yeah, you see these yeah. days. And, you know, I know there's a lot of budget constraints in this movie. And that's why I also, knowing that this film was made very limited resources, I do appreciate it for what it was. It did accomplish the scope of what I was looking for in this story fairly well, all things well, being equal. That's why another reason why you couldn't make this set in the 1800s. Cause it'd just be too fucking expensive. Well, one of the things that I think was really fantastic in this too, that I just wanted to mention is the music. Um, I don't know how you guys felt I completely about it, agree. I actually yeah, it, enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I was, I was yeah. really iffy on it at the beginning, but by the end of it, I really was on board. Yeah, yeah it, it kind of feels a little bit like the movie Akira in a, to a degree where you like you hear the album and then you see the movie and it oh, like, man. You can, it's like someone wrote a soundtrack and then made a movie and cut the soundtrack into the movie without writing the soundtrack for the movie. So it was I, I interesting. Know, I don't know how you do it, Bor, if it's been 10 years, but you have a pipeline into my brain because that was the first <laughs> fucking thing I thought of was fucking Akira. Um, yeah. Like, it, it, it's cool. Like I said, at first I was, because I kind of like, when we did The Lighthouse, you know, I really liked that soundtrack and like the horns and the and the very brassy works of it and the very low tones of it. That's always how I picture a Lovecraft. So to do it in something that I don't expect and yet it still work, I think that's an accomplishment. So I, yeah, well done. I, I was, like I said, I was iffy, but but they they, they got me. The guy who did the music on this one is a guy named Colin Stetson. He did the music for Hereditary. Um, oh, okay. So if, okay. So if you've heard the Pyman, Pyman Rises or whatever that is, that's one of his. He's, okay. he's an incredibly talented and incredibly interesting uh, musician. But his own like albums are all like kind of electronic. So it's like they have like an electronic sound. Does he go by a different using... name? Does he have a pseudonym? No, it's Colin oh. Stetson. Oh, okay. He, he okay. does, um, uh, if anybody's curious to just get an example of it, you can go out and look up his song, All This I Do For Glory, which is off an album he did, which is incredibly catchy, um, but also sounds like you're in a horror film. It sounds like you're about to be murdered by someone. It's very strange. It, it worked for this film and and since you know i i since we i guess we got to grade these movies eventually um i i wanted to talk about the return of richard stanley now Borf, i know you can go off and on and on about it but i but since we were talking about how um 
disjointed this movie was, how fractured it kind of felt and inconsistent. Do you think this was just growing pains for Richard Stanley of like, it's been 20 years since he's made a feature film? Like, do you, um, or, I mean, you're, you would be more aware of it than I would be. I do not think these are growing pains. I think okay. this is Richard Stanley because mm. when I watched Hardware, there are a lot of odd... We can watch those movies at some point. I would advise anybody who's curious about this movie, go check out Dust Devil and go check out um, the other film he did, uh, Hardware. Hardware is like a fairly famous one. Uh, Dust Devil's a little less well-known, but um, all of his stories have very odd parts that are kind of introduced. So like... In Dust Devil, it balanced out well because there were a lot of odd choices that were made, but they were all set in South Africa. So for some reason, the otherness of it being in South Africa made it seem okay that all these strange things kept happening. Um, that said, uh, the first time I saw Dust Devil, I hated it. I hated it with a passion. <laughs> I was like 18 and I thought it was one of the worst films I'd seen. However... I then saw it again in college, and the difference was is there was a director's cut that came out. Um, Dust Devil was one that had gotten so terribly cut uh, by Weinstein after the fact that it was something that you didn't really get to see that movie until you saw the director's cut. So Another victim of Weinstein. Yeah. The list keeps growing. Well, I mean, it's interesting because you see movies like this, and you kind of wonder like, what would have happened with these people if this hadn't if this guy hadn't been in their lives, like with Richard Stanley, I don't know if he would have gone on to make great movies. I don't know if he would have gone on to make movies we would have liked. I mean, he, I like the color out of space personally, but I don't know if we were um, barred from seeing other things he would have done by Weinstein. Well, um, and I, I, you know, I practice makes perfect. Right. So I, like the more you do it, the more refined you're going to be. And that's where I'm kind of, I, I wonder about, you know, being 20 years out of it and, and the nightmare experience that was the island of Dr. Monroe would burn anybody out of show business. Um, I don't care what is in you, um, but also he's the one who cast Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando, so he only yeah. has himself to blame. I, I think, well, speaking of the practice, but I, uh, I liked this movie at least well enough that I hope that his uh, Dunwich Horror gets made and he gets I completely agree. At an H I think yeah. if the lightning strikes just right, this guy could make a really great adaptation of a Lovecraft tale. Um, I also the think The instincts that are there. The instincts are there. There's an interesting moment when I believe Nicolas Cage is watching a very blurry television, and I believe it's a Marlon Brando film. And I wonder if that had anything to do with his experiences on Dr. Moreau, if that was some kind of intentional... I, I don't know. I, I bet you that was intentional. I didn't put that together in my head, but I 100% think that's intentional. It was uh, Roman Holiday, I think, is what they were watching. I, I, I strongly, strongly doubt that that was just a coincidence. Yeah. Um, however, I mean, watching that Lost Souls documentary, which it's free on Amazon, if you want to know what, if you're interested in nightmare productions like I am, it's a good one. Um, it's not particularly well made, but it's good enough, and it's very crazy stories. It sounds like they to got me that this gig. Yeah, that was one of the things that Spectre Vision watched. And like, oh, oh yeah, really? This guy needs it. This guy needs, needs another to give shot. another shot. Well, yeah, this good, guy also good for him. Gave, uh, speaking of documentaries about famously troubled productions. Yodorovsky's Dune, I believe he gave interviews in as well, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and he, Marlon Brando was, was featured on another nightmare shoot documentary called Heart of Darkness. So yeah. it's, it's not, I'm seeing a common theme. Hmm. It's a mystery. Um, I, but like, I, I think that, um, 
one of the things you could tell is that he really is passionate about what he does. I mean, he, he throws himself into it, and you almost want somebody like that. One of the things that, that my, my twin commented on, out of seeing this is that you could tell that he, he is a fan of Lovecraft. Like, this is his hobby horse. So uh, I agree with you, Zach. I, I liked it enough to where I want to see him do it again you know it's it's almost like you know like if you if you contrast mad max fury road with the first mad max movie you're gonna this, see two different movies it's like this is the rough pilot for a show that has a lot of potential yeah right <laughs> like our show hey yeah, yeah. <laughs> well the thing is, is it's well, like i know we've been negative on it <laughs> <laughs> um i i actually do like this movie quite a lot i know that we're like kind of negging it that like the stuff in it that i enjoy i really do enjoy um but he is uh, talking about doing some of that stuff again because this got him enough notoriety so even like we're talking about him talking about doing like another lovecraft but one of the things that came up was the possibility of him doing his version of uh the movie that got uh that caused so much trouble um uh, the island of dr moreau oh my god still, really really he still had well, well Gilliam thing. did it. Why not? Here, here's the deal, though. Uh, when you watch the documentary, you you probably saw it. Like the film they wanted it. to make was so fundamentally different than the one that came out mm-hmm. that I think what he wanted to make was something more along the lines of Nightbreed, um, the the weird monster movie that was like a little more sex than Company or that the country was comfortable with from uh, Barker in the '90s, but like something that level, um, which at this point could happen. Uh, production values have gone down. Uh, but True. at the same time, it's like, why would you want to go back I, and take more from the poison imagine. Well? Yeah, man. Like, dude, yeah. let it, he let it go. He heard dog in the well, and now he's climbing up. <laughs> he put the goggles on. He's got the goggles this time. He's ready yeah. for it. That's, that's the thing waiting at the bottom. It's that it's a dog with like a man's body. He's like, hey, I've been down here for years. <laughs> Remember me? <laughs> I've been trapped down here with a copy of Hot Shots Part Two for the last oh my God. years, <laughs> or whatever that is. Uh, oh, Secret man. Agent—that's the one he was. Secret there. Agent, Val Kilmer one, and probably I, that, that movie's still pretty funny. Um, but uh, not because of Val Kilmer. But anyway, um, I I think that um, the, if this is the return of Richard Stanley, then then I wish him you know God willing, Godspeed, you know, go for it, do the Dunwich Horror. You know, I would I would suggest maybe getting a budget, you know, like getting I mean, I know that's going to be a, a tough sell for a guy like you. But, you know, like I suggest giving it a go. But as far as doing Island Dr. Moreau again, no, no, dude, no, let it go. You know, <laughs> I know Gilliam eventually got to do Don Quixote eventually, but, you know, like, yeah, Don, it, that, that movie I have not watched yet. Uh, it is I one of those movies that everybody was excited that it was occurring. I think more in theory than in practice. And then when everyone watched it, everyone said basically like, oh yeah, this is boring. This is well-trodden. We've seen this all before. This is a movie that should have come out 25 years ago as opposed to being in production so long. You wanted, Uh, you wanted, uh, you you wanted Brazil, but got tied land. Um, yeah, remi- reminds me of my shitty student film that took 10 years to finish. And uh, oh, hey, you're still you're, you're you're preaching to the choir here, homie. Oh, God. <laughs> Spending $15,000 on a student film is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, but I, you know, I, I could tell that I could see the appeal of this movie, Borif, especially for a guy like you, because you do like movies that. A, like don't take themselves that seriously. You know, I, I could tell that, like, especially for horror movies, like if you're make it fun. 
you know, like don't bore me has always been a Boref uh, uh, yeah. tip. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I like I'm a big fan of like Vincent Price, uh, you know, Peter Cushing. <laughs> uh, you know, if I'm going to see a horror movie, just make it fun, man. Like, yeah, I don't want to yeah. see Saw. I want to see somebody like with fake fangs. I want to see Christopher Lee being a creepo. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Nick Cage going off on something. But I guess I, I do want to talk about the legacy, the legacy of, of Nick Cage. He, yeah, I mean, talk about a guy. He's been around forever, at least my entire, almost my entire life. Um, and now he is taking these runs on, you know, sort of smaller role. I mean, he was a major A-list actor. I mean, like he was headlining movie. I mean, he's the highest paid actor in this movie, that's for sure. But still, it's not a major, major movie. Um, and he seems to be more comfortable in doing that in the past you know 10 years it seems like you know it's it, you it's is that it do you think he's a problem to work with because i can't imagine he would be because richard stanley would fucking kick him off at this well, point because i'm not even I dealing mean, with it part of it might be that motherfucker ran out of money and had to take whatever yeah, that's right. he could, that's right. and it probably yep. didn't help his career to appear in all this low budget schlock i think he got a reputation around it i mean it was sort of an uroboros of you know he did this bad stuff because he needed to, and then the bad stuff started defining him a little bit. Yeah, it's sort of like latter career um, uh, Lance Henriksen, or uh, what was the other guy? Uh, um, old horror actor uh, Carradine. Like, oh, uh, the, oh my God! Oh the, yeah, David Carradine. David, old, Carradine. The David Carradine. Carradine. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, John Carradine. John no, John Carradine. They both did the yeah. same thing. Like David oh, Carradine, yeah. John Carradine, oh, yeah. Peter Fonda did the same thing. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It's it's Jane uh, Fonda started at the beginning. <laughs> yeah she did the schlock at the beginning um that, that but like, oh my god john carradine was in some whew, man i mean the, the, the truth is is that if a movie doesn't bore me and it's fun i'm gonna enjoy it if a movie bores me and it's not enjoyable i'm not gonna have a good time um like that's that's one change for me from like college like it used to be like i don't know if you guys have found this but as you get older do you want to like not waste your time with boring like sad movies as much do you just want to watch stuff that's fun all the time people tell me about that uh, new mark ruffalo show uh, on hbo and i'm sure it's really good and richard really over well, my, my tw- tragedy porn like yeah is it really because like yeah. well my my twin brother immediately went to cassavetti's which long time listeners know i'm a big fan of so i kind of went there but i'm also not really in the mood to watch uh you know a severe drama about twins you know because i myself Dude, am a twin and maybe I, I have a tolerance for sad movies perhaps beyond yours but so like Precious is a movie I hate because it seems like a movie where they just thought up a list of every bad thing that could happen and dumped it on. And it becomes so numbing and repetitive and, and tragedy porn. And my understanding and my reading of the plot of that Mark Ruffalo show is it is the same way, man. They just came oh, up with a list. Boy. We're like, we'll just do all of it. OK, yeah. I can't wait. Should we get our uh, final thoughts on this particular movie and then move on to the judgment area uh, Hell i think yeah. now's a time as ever i wanted to like this movie it's similar to the lighthouse i think i was a, a victim of my own expectations um uh unlike the lighthouse i don't know why i expected any better from nick me to like a nick cage performance but it's been known to happen it has happened um uh i'm a big fan of of, of lovecraft have been for a long time so i'm a i i admire the attempt to do a straight adaptation, even though this wasn't really a straight adaptation. Um, and 
again, doing a little bit of research into this movie and Richard Stanley in general, and I'll have to eventually watch those movies. Um, but uh, I, I think it's you, you kind of respect the the journey of like somebody getting a second chance, especially in show business. I mean, and this business is good at rewarding second chances when it happens. So if he wants to keep going with this, I think it's very likely that it could happen for him. Uh, I think I'm probably somewhere in between the two of you on this movie. So I'll go next. Um, there are elements, scenes, moments in this movie that I dig quite a lot. Uh, I think that the, like I've said, there's the bones here for something that I think is like greater than the sum of its parts. And I don't, I think this is somehow a little less than the sum of its parts. It just doesn't, it's not cohesive. It doesn't string together quite right. And so I can't give it like a full bore, like full throated recommendation. But I think if this is up your alley, this kind of weird sci-fi horror stuff it is worth a watch um but if it's not you can go ahead and and and, and jump over this one um yeah I, I i like aspects of this movie i just don't think it comes together quite right um i kind of feel uh similar to that um i think it's uh, got some uneven parts there are things in it that i love um i think emotionally i was very into the idea of richard stanley coming back after like when you see someone go through a lot of hardship, it sort of becomes like a personal thing when they finally come back and do something good, or at least they get a chance to. So like uh, we've mentioned Fury Road, the fact that Fury Road exists at all is a miracle. Um, so him coming back, having a second chance, I think is really good. But I also agree with you both that there are parts of this that are not as much fun. And I have a feeling that I will probably remember this movie similar to how I remember um, movies like Mama or um, uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, where there's some really mm. solid, incredibly fun parts to it. But then there are parts that do not um, allow you to just enjoy the rest of it because it sticks out like a weird sore thumb. So I would say this one is really solid in the middle. Um, and I am probably really solid in the middle with my scoring on this one, too. Okay. So that brings us to the scoring. Now, the way this is going to work is each of us has 10 points, right? And we are going to uh, allocate those points out between these three movies, each in turn, um, uh, and reveal them on screen. Uh, also, for the benefit of our audio listeners, we will not just be showing these papers. We'll say what we actually scored them <laughs> as well. <laughs> you mean we can't just nod at people in agreement and then have the listeners understand us? <laughs> Precisely. Uh, all right. So do you guys uh, want to show your papers all at once or should we go through each person for each film? Um, uh, we should do okay. them all at once, but let's do it for like we say a movie and then we show our score. Okay. Let's start. Let's go in order. So so like okay so we have 10 in total and so when we're scoring it is based solely off personal preference right indeed so yeah. we're not doing any sort of a technical or any sort of a like a thing if you want to borif if you want to if that's part of your consideration if well, the story it of sometimes Stanley's is return influences your score that's allowed okay you're damn it's however right however you want to do it this is this is uh we're flying commando on this yeah here we <laughs> flying go flying commando <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right so all right start with rear window it was our first movie okay three two one show your placards all giving, right uh, i got giving rear window a three on the board oh scale. wow 
I'm giving Real it a Adam seven. Gets a three from Borith. I'm going to be seven, seven from Russell. From Russell. That's a total yeah. Of a ten, and it gets a four, a four from me. So that's a total of fourteen. Okay. Fourteen. We're going to go okay. ahead and give. Uh, go ahead and move on All to right. the lighthouse now. The score to beat for the lighthouse is fourteen. <laughs> All right. Three, <laughs> two, one. I am giving the lighthouse a five. I am giving Lighthouse a two. I am giving a Lighthouse also a four. I went back and forth on which one of those uh, to give the higher score to, and ultimately I decided I'm not going to pick. I'm going to give them both an equal amount. All right, so that's a five, a two, and a four. So that is 11. Uh, that is canonically a loser. I suspect that uh, Color Out of Space is not going to top the 14. I think it's technically impossible at this point. Uh, but let's go ahead and... Uh, reveal our scores for Color Out of Space. Three, two, one. Uh, on the Borf scale, it is two for Color Out of Space. I went ahead uh, with a two as well. I had to go with a one. I'm sorry, the monster vision. I was leaning on two and giving uh, a rear window uh, six points to give two points each to Lighthouse and Color Out of Space, but the monster vision, man. I just can't do it. Well, that does it then. I was more stressed about the sheer amount of math I had to do to remember how to get to 10 <laughs> from the numbers that I had picked and then had to yeah. retroactively do the math until oh, I realized one day, that I had I, only I'm two. I very, very nearly did 0.5s to, to, to separate rear window and uh, the lighthouse. It ultimately wasn't necessary. Um, so that means rear window, my pick, is our winner. And uh, I picked Zach the next. to set the movie trap. Yeah, uh, I... Uh, I don't want every episode, every theme to co to coordinate with current times, but I do think it's appropriate in this particular instance. I went back and forth between two options. Option one was uh, black filmmakers and option two was just shitty cops. And I kind of think we can have, <laughs> I mean, I ultimately, I think I'm going to go with shitty cops because I missed the film Blind Spotting when it came out a couple of years ago. I heard good things. It's on HBO, uh, and I believe it's on Hulu for free as part of their temporary deal with HBO, so we can all access it. So I think I want to do Shitty Cops and start us off with Blind Spotting. That's the... Is that Damon Wayans and, and Bruce Willis? Am I thinking of the same movie? You are not. It's okay. Oh, James right. It's somebody else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. Way wrong. Carlson Couldn't have been more wrong if like, I tried. He's like, okay, we're going to be watching a Damon Wayans movie. All right. Let's go, Blake Man. Let's rock and roll. But I think this gives you a lot of shitty cops can be a lot of things, and I think it's going to give you a lot of a lot of a lot of room to figure out something that that works for you. Borf's going to make me we'll watch. this round, all cops are bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Borf's going to make me watch. Borf's going to make me watch Bad Lieutenant already. I could feel it. I already watched that movie once. I could Borf fucking feel it. Dip on the insane Nicolas Cage. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. He's going to make me watch that fucking just to watch I think, beat my I head I think I've got an idea, but we'll have to we'll have to go out into the world. We'll have now, to look beyond the uh, the the wonderful garden that is Nicolas Cage to see if we can until, pull a weed from the wild. Until we come up with another system for this, Russell, you came in second. So I'm going to give you the option of picking if you want to pick the second or third movie in this rotation. Uh, I will pick the third. I will let, I will receive. I will let <laughs> Borif do the punting. All right. Okay. So it's going to be me, then Chris, then Russell for this all cops are bastards slash bad cops round. 
coming bad up next cops, time bad on, cops uh, on yep. bad cops bad cops bad cops yeah thanks for uh thanks for listening and uh don't forget to also check out zach powers additional podcast he does the revisionists uh where do they find it zach uh anywhere where is podcasts it's a comedy history podcast where we uh teach about the real history of a thing and then make up a crazy batshit alternate version and decide which is the real history of the world after at the end of the episode it's a fun time you can find it wherever wherever you do your podcasting all right well uh with that i guess it's time to sign off for the week and um thanks for joining us uh i guess this is uh russell carlson signing off we'll see you guys next time yeah, this is Chris Borf signing off. Uh, feel free to jump into any of our social media anythings. You'll find them in the show notes. And let us know what you think, because while we're just doing this podcast to chat with each other, it'd be great to hear what other people think about movies like uh, The Color Out of Space, because we have a feeling it's probably a little divisive, and it would be fun to hear other people's thoughts. I, I, have at me. I don't have any shame. And uh, yeah, uh, speaking of uh, rating things, go ahead. You could give us a... Uh... Presumably we're available on iTunes at this point. You can give us a rating there. and <laughs> Right, and, unless it's a bad rating, in which case, keep it in to yourself, case, okay? In which keep it to yourself. Yeah, you just, but I have been Zach Powers, and this has been The Movie Trap. We'll see you next time for Shitty Cops. Oh, nice one, Dad. Yeah, I find mixing a little fennel into their feed increases the yield and... Improves the flavor. Would you like a taste? Oh, no. Oh, lactose intolerant. Your loss. Mm.